This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Will Gadara. Will was born into a restaurant family and started working in a kitchen at the age of 12. His experience is vast. Will has built some of America's best restaurants with some of the world's most creative teams. He has also worked tirelessly to foster a sense of community within the industry and beyond. What follows is something soulful from one of the most compassionate people I know. It's Will's determination and his sensitivity that make him an important leader in this moment. We're back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Will. You have worked in the restaurant industry since you were how old? Since I was about 12 years old. It's the only thing I've ever done. I was a, I was a camp counselor um, when I was like 14 for one summer. Outside of that, the only thing I've ever done is work in restaurants. What was your first job? My first job, well, my dad was in the business. Um, so I would just do random odd jobs in his restaurants growing up. Um, I worked at Brasserie, which is now the Lobster Club underneath the grill. Um, there I was uh, like the, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't a job and that I didn't get paid, but I was in the kitchen um, working in the pastry department. Uh, my first real job, my first paid job outside was at a Baskin Robbins. And then I was a busboy at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. I worked for Drew Nearprint. I worked for Danny Meyer. I worked for Restaurant Associates. And then ultimately did what I did. So having been in this industry for going on four decades now, what does this whole shutdown feel like to you? You know, I think there's, I think everyone that I've talked to is still in the, this feels surreal stage. Um, I don't think it's possible at this stage to have like a, a foundational response to what's happening because it's been happening so quickly and everyone's been scrambling to adjust or to react or to try to do what they can to support people or things or organizations. Um, it's interesting, you know, as we, many of us are quarantined, I think a lot of people were expecting to almost be bored, but everyone I've talked to is sharing the feeling that we've never felt busier. And I think a lot of that is things that you have to do, um, whether it's dealing with the business you're running and the people that you lead or, um, but I think a lot of it is just doing things because that's what we do. Restaurant people are used to being busy. And during times like this, you try to figure out what it is that you can do. It's been one of the most inspiring things for me in this week. And one of the reasons that I found myself smiling so much during a time when there's not that much to smile about is the sense of community and camaraderie where there's a lot of people out there that are not going to take this sitting down and everyone's finding their own way to contribute, whether it's recording a daily podcast or starting um, various organizations or coalitions in their cities or states or in pursuit of federal impact. 
um, whether it's coming up with creative ways to do delivery or takeout or coming up with uh, funds to support your employees or ways to get food to people in need. Um, our industry is full of people that are used to feeling in control. And whether that's actually true, I don't think any of us are actually ever in control of that much or not. I think people are trying to find little things that they can control, small ways in which they can create some sort of positive impact. And I have a boss from way back in the day, Paul Bowles Bevan, he was one of Danny Meyer's partners. And one of his quotes that I always loved was raindrops make oceans. And the thing that I've been saying to so many people on the phone who feel like everything that they're doing isn't big enough to actually make a difference. It's something that I remind them of, Hey, if everyone's doing something small, it eventually leads to something big. You were telling me earlier that restaurant people, people who get into the business are, are optimistic by nature. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I never remember the stat that's out there, but everyone says what percentage of restaurants close within the first two years. I mean, it's some unreasonable percentage. So to actually decide to invest the time and capital to open a restaurant, I think you have to be inherently optimistic. And that optimism has been so clear. Um, I think it wouldn't be hard for people to just give up right now. But I haven't seen a single person react that way. I haven't seen a single person just throw their hands in the air and give up. Everyone is trying to fight. Um, whether, you know, I was on the phone with Gabe Stolman earlier and I was like, what are you thinking about? What are you working on? And he went through this, you know, 10 part plan. Um, same thing with Sean Feeney. I was spending time on the phone with him and Missy going over what they're working on. Same thing with the Canlis boys. Same thing with Jeff Katz. Same thing with Kevin Bame and Donnie Medea. It's, it's just incredible. Kwame, like every single person I talk to is trying to find something that they can do, something that they can influence. Um, and I think one of the things that Listen, what's hard, and I was saying this before, um, we all got into this business was because we derived some like significant pleasure out of creating these environments where people can come together and connect, genuinely connect around the table. Um, and so during this time of social distancing where we have to not do that, where those environments cannot exist, at least for the foreseeable future, the very thing that got us out of bed in the morning no longer exists. And that could easily just kind of kill someone's creative spirit. But what I found is people working really, really hard because they're so focused on putting us all collectively in a position where we're there again. Um, my dad always says the secret to happiness is having something to look forward to. And I think there's so much to look forward to. Um, and it's just important that we all continue to remind ourselves of that. Your dad's a wise man. <laughs> he is. Have you, have, I mean, the, I know the answer is yes. I was going to say, have you been talking 
to your dad these days? Of, of course you, you have been. What has he been saying? What's the Frank Adara playbook for these times? And, you know, it's interesting. Um, I always quote all of the wise things that my dad says. It's not as if every time we talk, we're having like very, very intense and weighty conversations. We also just talk like a father and son would. Um, but it's a quote that he's used plenty of times before. It was the title of his welcome conference speech that he's reminded me of over the past few days. Adversity is a terrible thing to waste. And he's been talking about that with me both through the professional lens and the personal lens. Um, I'm in my house up in Kingston right now. And Christina, my wife, um, who... Christina owns Milk Bar. She's also, <laughs> she's a very, very busy woman, especially now. She and I are both working throughout the day and we're in our different rooms on calls and doing emails. But we found an opportunity to sit down and have dinner together, which is something we don't do nearly as often as we'd like in normal life. Um, I'm seeing you now through Skype while we record this. I can't imagine this whole moment happening before we had this technology. I found myself connecting, whether it's with people in our industry or people that used to work with me, um, and genuinely connecting them in ways with them in ways that I haven't in a long time. And so when he talks about adversity being a terrible thing to waste through a personal lens, it's in times of crisis that we have a collective need to emotionally invest in the people that we love. And to seize on that as an opportunity to get closer to the people that we feel close to is a beautiful thing. Christina and I have FaceTime dinners with people where we sit on the same side of the table and we're looking at them on the other side of the table. And I think the intention it requires to connect with people now makes those connections feel really gratifying. But then professionally, I mean, listen, our, our industry of independent restaurants, I mean, you look at that first word, independent. We cling to our independence fiercely. And now is a time when independence isn't an option. We need to work together to get through this. Whether it's through lobbying to make sure that the bills passed or taking care of small businesses and all the people that we employ. Whether it's being able to lean on one another emotionally. Um, because you get to a certain point in your organization and there's no one left above you to vent to. And you need people to share what you're going through in order to feel a sense of catharsis or, I don't know, there's beauty in knowing that you're not alone. Um, and so on the other side of this, an industry, I mean, we've never felt closer to one another. And there will be beautiful things that come from that. Tell me about some of the coalition building you've been working on. So it's it's been amazing. I mean, we're on phone calls two times a day, and there's 30 people on the call. And they're all people that are used to being in charge. It's 30 people on a phone call that are all used to leading a phone call. 
And yet no one's in charge. It's this collective group that's just trying to learn from one another and help one another and impact things as best we can. And so this thing, the, the IRC, it started very organically, where in a moment like this, through a collective realization that there is no lobbying group to represent just independent restaurants, um, a lot of people felt the need that one would exist. And after literally five-minute conversations, one with Ben Leventhal um, at American Express and Resi, um, one with Chase, one with Catherine and Claire and Mitchell at the James Beard Foundation, we'd collected enough money to bring on a political uh, consultant, a lobbying firm, and a couple PR companies such that our collective voices could be heard and rather just let whatever happens in Washington happen to us. We could actually explain how businesses work and what do we actually need from all of these relief packages to provide the kind of help and aid and security and comfort and certainty to a lot of people that desperately need it right now. Um, and so, you know, through all of the conversations, I felt unreasonable creativity, um, unprecedented humility, um, and a beautiful pursuit of community and collaboration. I mean, you hear this all the time, with our powers combined. And it's true. And if we can get out of our own way and actually embrace the fact that we are stronger together, there is no limit to what we can accomplish. It's amazing. A conference call with, with 30 people who all want to be heard sounds like such a nightmare situation. And the fact that it's it's cooperative and everyone's banding together um, in an ego-free way uh, to make sure people are taken care of is really an amazing thing. Yeah, and let, let's be clear. Independent restaurants across America are generally run by people with 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 reasonable egos. Yes. <laughs> and the speed at which people have put those on the shelf in pursuit of a common goal. Well, there's just no room. Yeah. There's just there's just no room. How many how many jobs are at stake? I mean, the independent restaurants in America employ around 11 million people. Once you add um kind of all of the different industries that are a part of our collective ecosystem, whether it's uh, florists and linen companies and uniform companies and then the big ones whether it's farmers and winemakers and meat purveyors and then the landlords and then the architects and the this and the that and the other thing it means tens of millions more i think what a lot of people don't understand is it, restaurants you know 90 percent of what we make goes right back out the door and and so there's a lot of people that rely on restaurants. There's a, there's a ton of people who rely on restaurants just for joy and peace of mind, for moments of celebration, for difficult moments, to be inspired by either a pursuit of excellence or a display of gracious hospitality. There's all of that, but then there's people whose literal livelihoods are based on what we do. I mean, I haven't been in a restaurant in about eight or nine days and it, it feels like I'm coming off drugs or something like that. I'm, <laughs> I'm really depressed. I'm really sad about it. It feels yeah. bad. 
which legislators um, seem to be the most willing to help or the most understanding about the severity of the situation? The thing that I've been so surprised by is, I mean, it's a very long list. You even see Marco Rubio and the stuff that he's talking about. Like, I feel like you're seeing heart and soul in, in people that through whatever political affiliation you have, you haven't necessarily been um, inclined to see that in people before. Well, restaurants really shouldn't be a partisan issue. I mean, everybody has to eat. Yeah. But I, I've just been, I've never imagined that people in those positions of power would also be so inclined to want to listen and learn. I'm glad to hear that. That's maybe the most hopeful political message I've heard in the last several years. So thank you for that. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's some real joy to my day. Um, I want to talk about another set of people you've been talking with, and, and that's people who, who used to work for you at, at, at various restaurants. Um, people who are calling you, people who are, are scared and, and anxious and are leaning on your leadership and, and, and your friendship to give them some actionable advice or maybe just to listen. What are those conversations like? How do they sound? And what are you saying to people? Those are perhaps the hardest ones for me right now. Um, when I'm talking about lobbying and legislation, at least there is an element where I do feel I have some ability to impact and I do have some control. Um, I think it's something that a lot of people, I, I said it before, like, like we have control issues. We like to have the answer. It's almost like the classic thing between a husband and wife. You're always taught in, in those books about how to be the best husband you can in a marriage that when someone has issues, it's not always your job to fix it. But as a collective, I think that's how we're programmed is to hear about a problem and immediately give a solution. Um, and the hardest part for me right now is there's no clear solution. Um, I always want to help people. And, you know, I dream that I have like this mystical restaurant that's open and full somewhere so that everyone who's struggling, I can say, don't worry, I got you. Come work over here. The reality is that doesn't exist. Um, but in the same way that I was saying that there's comfort and catharsis that can come from talking to other restaurateurs and owners who just need to vent a little bit. I found that that's maybe the best role that I can play for a lot of the people that used to work for me as well. Um, I am an optimist, um, whether it's in the relief package or what the future holds. Um, but I've just been trying to be available as someone who can listen. And while on the face that feels deeply unsatisfying to me, I do think that it's meaningful. Um, and if I can encourage people to do something, if you feel powerless in doing anything, it's doing that. Just calling someone that you know is in a not great 
place right now. And then just listening for a while. Because while it doesn't seem like you're accomplishing much, I think you end up accomplishing more than you realize. Yeah. Sometimes people just need that couple of minutes. I had a quick two-minute cry today. I'm okay now. Well, sometimes that's the best thing you can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. You are a master of, of the art of hospitality. I've, I've seen you pull off so many amazing things in dining rooms that have, have blown my mind big and, and small. How can people bring hospitality into their homes on lockdown? What are some small things people can do to be a little nicer to each other and to themselves? Um, I like how you said nicer to each other and to themselves. Um, I read this article the other day, how just bizarre it is that social distancing has become socially demanding. Um, and I think that's true. And so I think the first thing is you do need to be nice to yourself. Something I learned from Danny Meyer was the whole oxygen mask thing, referencing, you know, that moment on the plane where they tell you you need to put the mask on yourself before you can help those around you. Um, and the same idea that we're all trying to figure out how we can help and make impact it can get to the point where we're all running through the day without actually running that we run out of juice and then we're pretty powerless to do much of anything for anyone. And so the first thing I'd say is find your oxygen and whether that is exercising or binging a little television, or if you're someone that enjoys taking a nap, like carving out time to do the things that, are enriching for you. You know, it's making me really happy. And your wife's going to love the fact that I'm going to say this. Ritz crackers. Yeah. I mean, just re really happy. <laughs> really, really happy. My oxygen mask right now is a Ritz cracker. My wife's oxygen mask is going for a run and, and baking. And she's working crazy and on a ton of phone calls every single day and leading her company from mostly from afar. But she's baking, and she's running. and and honestly, that gives her the ability to be fully present when we sit down for dinner with one another. Um, I also think there's that book of the love languages, and I think that's such a great book if you can figure out what is the love language of the person that you're trying to love, and make sure you're loving them in the way that they want to receive love, not in the way that you like to give love. I don't know this book. Sounds worth oh, you, reading. Oh, you should definitely read it. Um, you can love through words, through quality time, through gifts, through acts of service. And too often where we fail in relationship is that we are loving someone in the way that we want them to love us, not in the way that they want us to love them. And so I think it's just figuring out, because not everyone is with their wife. Some people don't have a significant other. Some people are living with their families or friends, or some people are living alone. But to the extent that you are with other people, figure out the way in which they like to receive love and find little ways to give it. Um, I mean, I think like yesterday I cleaned the house. And we talk about this all the time in restaurants. Most of the people that decide to go into restaurants 
are those that like to give gifts on the holidays, not those that like to receive them. But we're just as selfish because we love the look on someone's face when we give them that gift. And there's something that's energizing about doing something for someone else, even the smallest thing. But I've also found, to my point before, there are a lot of people that are alone right now. And just taking time to pick up the phone and check in on those people, I think is a pretty, it's a pretty awesome thing to do. Um, but then bringing it closer to home, dinner, in spite of the fact that you're not going to a restaurant, it should still be a moment of celebration. We need these little moments of celebration in our lives. Just because this is happening, it doesn't mean we should deprive ourselves of them. I don't know the last time before this week that I lit candles on my dining room table for dinner at home. And this week I've done it every single night. I don't know the last time that I've made a cocktail for me and my wife before dinner at home and sat in the living room before going to the table to eat dinner. And I've done that almost every single night this week. Um, Adversity is a terrible thing to waste. We are stuck in our homes. That doesn't mean that we can't make it kind of awesome. And there's no reason that it shouldn't be a little awesome. The world isn't awesome right now. There's no way for us to change that through some magical wave of a wand. But we can create little awesome moments. And I don't think we should avoid doing them because... It feels guilty too. Right. Well, the show is called Takeaway Only. What is your big takeaway from the last week or so? I think that there are a lot of things that I've taken for granted. And I mean, that's anyone I'm sure can look at the world right now and say the same for themselves whether it's access to friends and community, whether it's having a job, whether it's knowing that the future has some relative certainty. And I hope I listen to this podcast in five years to make sure that I haven't slipped back into a phase where I'm taking all of those same things for granted again. But I guess my takeaway is that we have always been extraordinarily fortunate and it's easy to feel bad for ourselves, even during the times that things are going so well. And even in this moment right now, I'm still extraordinarily fortunate. I was at the Walmart the other day because we got up to Kingston and we were loading up on a ton of supplies so that we wouldn't have to leave the house. And Like everyone, I'm feeling financial insecurity and I have trepidation about what the future looks like and I'm skittish and, um, and scared. But I have two carriages full of stuff, and then there's a family in front of me, um, and they had a carriage full of stuff. And I wasn't really paying attention until suddenly I realized for the third time they were taking stuff out of their cart to uh, see if they could bring the total down such that their card wouldn't be declined. And I went and ended up paying for the rest of the stuff in their cart. But there I was feeling so bad for myself and taking for granted the fact that I was actually in a pretty good place. I think it's part of the human condition, no matter how enlightened we think we are, we always take things for granted. 
And I know that I still will and will probably take the things that I'm realizing I shouldn't have taken for granted for granted again in the future. But the takeaway is that, man, there's a lot of things out there that we should appreciate more than we've paused to appreciate in the past. My guest today is Will Gadara. Will, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Howie. That was Will Gadara. You can follow Will on Instagram at WGadara. Coming up tomorrow, Rocio Sanchez. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Khan, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Khan, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at Beepoles. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, and the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back tomorrow. This is Takeaway Only.